We continue in our sermon series also this morning on inhaling and exhaling. Just take a breath. And what are the things that we, we need to understand? And so these are some foundational relationship issues that we have in our relationship with God. I'm calling this message from what to who, how we go from what are the things we need to do to realize who do we need to build a relationship with. The text that we're going to be looking at, if you brought your Bibles with, it, with you, or if you want to turn on a smartphone to Bible Gateway or to the Bible app, is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I always use the English Standard Version. That's what I will be referring to in our message this morning. I recently read a book called A General Theory of Love. It was an amazing book to me because it was a scientific look at human emotions. And so often there are things that we talk about in the church as our faith, and it's so nice when we read something that the science community has looked at and we say, you know, we're really saying the same thing and looking at it from different angles and different perspectives. The idea that really got propagated in research is done about love and about our emotions is the idea that what we do doesn't really change us. We don't need more advice. We don't need one more person to tell us one more thing. We can't think our way into different emotions. And so when we need to change and when we need to transform and there's something that needs to be worked out in our life, it's not what we do or what somebody tells us, but it's who we get to know. And I want us to just pause and think about the difference between that. It got explained one time this way. If you go and you have a counselor, and the counselor is sort of a cold fish, but the counselor just tells you things to do, it's not going to make a difference in your life. Oh, it just sounds like you need to do this. won't change us, because then we're just all up in our head, and we're trying to make the changes and the transformations. However, when we can build a healthy patient-counselor relationship, and we start to see how that counselor is reacting to the things that we share with the person, and then we start receiving and, and intuiting those emotions that that person starts to share. We build a healthy relationship, and it starts to transform and change us as we start to pick up on that and start to bring it out in our lives. And that happens all the time in our lives, and we're not even aware of it. We change as we build relationships with people. We get to know people, they transform us, Likewise, we have that impact on others. It's really helpful for parents to hear this, or grandparents, or anyone who deals with anybody that you ever don't like somebody's behavior, because a lot of times what we will do is we'll tell somebody something and it doesn't make a difference. So parents are great at barking out, you know, you should do this, or why didn't you respond this way at school? A better thing to do is if our kids are struggling with something, is take them out for pizza and spend some time with them. You see, it's through the relationship that transformation takes place. It's through getting to know another person that we can have an impact. And likewise, the same thing happens for us. If we're struggling for, with something, we don't need somebody to tell us what to do. It's not about what I need. That's not our question. The question becomes, who do I get to know? We see this all the time in the work we do in recovery. That's why we bring people into a recovery community. That's why we talk to people about having a sponsor, a person that they can bounce ideas off and start to learn how the other person has handled life sober so that they can learn to do the same thing. Not because they're told what to do, but they experience it in relationship. Making sense? 
It's not what we tell people. It's not what we receive as information. It's who we get to know. Well, the reason that's so important for us as Christians is because the Scriptures don't teach us what to do. They teach us who to get to know, which is our Savior Jesus. Amen? Amen. It's all about a relationship. The Christian faith is all about getting to know Jesus better. Now, we all have our kind of nerdy things that we like. One of mine is uh, information and, and looking at and listening to symphonies that were conducted by a guy named Otto Klemperer. Now, do we have any Otto Klemperer fans in our audience today? Now, I had a very small group of people here on... Do I have one? Did I guess... There we go. Dave, well, you were my son. You better have learned that. <laughs> on Saturday... We had a very small group, but I had a number of people at our traditional service who knew who Otto Klemperer was, which is what I would have expected. He was a German conductor. He had, had an experience during World War II. He eventually um, has these magnificent orchestras that he conducted. Well, one of the things I was privileged to do was read a biography of him, and I think this is the other reason why I like him so well. I happened to be reading that biography when our youngest son was born. So now I have this conductor I like, I'm reading this biography, biography of Otto Klemper, and we go to the hospital to have child number two, Todd. We get there, the baby's born, the nurse turns to me and she said, what did you bring to put the baby's footprints in? I go, huh? I didn't even know that was a thing. She said, oh yeah, like you, people bring all kinds of stuff. You get to, we officially put the baby's footprints in something. So I handed my Otto Klemper a book. And I said, here, how about this? So if you go to my house, other than the Bible, that's my favorite book. Don't touch that book. Because you open it up and there are Todd's footprints from the very day he was born. Well, what I like about Otto Klemper is the stuff that I learned about how he transformed orchestras just by coming in and working with them. Now you'd say, well, of course, because you know these conductors become the conductor for a long period of time. No, what was discovered about him is in a very short time, he would have a huge impact on an orchestra. So I went back and, and actually pulled one of the New York Times articles that gets referred to about him. It comes from New York Times, January 6, 1941. Listen to what they say about my favorite conductor. Otto Klemper, who in a series of three concerts last fall, transformed the orchestra of the New York City WPA Music Project from a group of average instrumentalists into a good symphony orchestra. Last night took charge of the orchestra again and conducted a stirring and beautiful concert at Carnegie Hall. Wow! In a very short time, coming in and working with an orchestra, he transformed a group of people from being a mediocre group into being an amazing orchestra. He did not do that by teaching them anything. He didn't have time. He couldn't say, I want you all to go and take violin lessons. You know, come back in a year. Immediately, because of his presence and who he was and the relationship he had with the orchestra, they immediately started to pick up on that. And you can pick up on that when you listen to things that he conducts. You see, it's all about relationship. Let's be clear, that's what the Christian faith is all about. So if you want to have a great orchestra and improve how you perform in music, you get to know a great conductor like Otto Klemper. If you want your life to improve, you get to know Jesus better. Tracking with me here? If you want your life to improve, 
you build your relationship with Jesus. And we start finding that the very things, like Bob was talking about, that we don't want to happen in our life, that we have to go through, we too get that opportunity to start looking forward to those times when we have these conversations with our Savior so he can breathe truth into our life and show us how to handle things that formerly would have baffled us. In the book of Hebrews, it's a letter that is written to early first century Jewish Christians. It's an explanation of who Jesus is so that the people of the first century could understand how to build a relationship with him. Listen to what our text tells us in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. The writer says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. This person who writes this letter is writing it to a bunch of first century Christians who came out of Judaism, and therefore they've been practicing first century Judaism, and now they've come to faith in Christ. And what the writer understands is that in first century Judaism, things had become very legalistic and rule-oriented. So as he looked as a Jewish Christian on how the faith had been handed along, he realizes that there was a whole lot of what out there. What we need to do. What we need to, to read. What we need to change. And he looks at all the things that that first century people would have understood. The law, the prophets, the temple. Go to the temple. Oh, your life isn't good? You know, come back next week and bring us you know, two goats and a dove and we'll see if that doesn't improve. Sacrifices, all this stuff. As if somehow what we do or what somebody tells us is going to transform our lives. And now the writer says, no, it's none of that. It's not what you do. It's not that you can come to Pastor Stan and he can tell you, do these three things and your life will get better. But rather, it's about building the right relationship with our Savior. Think of how all the what stuff had gone wrong. They had all the stuff that they did. They still had the golden calf incident when Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai. Didn't change people's lives. Just because laws and rules start getting handed down, it didn't mean that people learned how to live more righteously. Pastor David talked about last week how, oh, maybe our, our need is to get a king, and so they, they get a new king, and his name is King Saul, and he ends up being a crazy, crooked guy, and they have a problem. They didn't have recall elections in ancient Israel, so they couldn't even get a new vote on it. See, that's what happens when we do the, the idea that something is going to fix us. So now we're told to, instead of looking at what you need or what you need to change, let all that go and build a relationship with the right Jesus. Hear me? Not just with Jesus, but the right Jesus. I listen to some people's Jesus, and I don't know the guy they're talking about. Because it's not the Jesus I read about in the Bible. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Who is this Jesus who lives, who's our Savior, who we can get to know better? Because the Scripture makes it very clear who he is. And if we can 
concoct in our mind a different image of who Jesus is, we start getting transformed into that. And so the scripture wants us to be clear of who this Jesus is that we get to know. The first thing we're told about him in our text is not just anybody. He's our great high priest. Interesting idea. Listen to what verse 14 says. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So first thing we, we know about him is he's some kind of a priest. Now, we don't really use that term, certainly not here in Faith Community Church, so let's just take a moment and think of what this writer's talking about. You see, in the ancient world, they had a priest. And the priest was a person who would go between the people and God. So try to imagine you're the priest. You are the one and only person in the town of Plymouth. Nobody else, only you. You got all the responsibility on your shoulders. You get to represent all the prayers and everything that everybody wants to God. Only you. That was a humbling experience. And so one person had it laid upon them that they were the one who could go in, go into the Holy of Holies, go before God, bring the prayers and the petitions. But then we're told that he's not just a priest. He's not just one who goes between us and, and God the Father and, and all that God has to offer us. It says he's also the high priest, the top priest. So we get that. So he's not just a one who gives us access to God. Jesus, as we talk to him, is higher than all the others. Maybe the other priests would mess up, but hey, at least a high priest gets it right. Then the text says one other thing, and I like to use Greek words, especially ones that you know. You're going to know this one. I'm going to give it to you in Greek. It says here, great high priest. Let me tell you what the Greek word is, mega. He's the mega high priest. You get it? The mega, the biggest, the best, the most. So now what we're told about is Jesus is our mega high priest. When all the other priests fail, when everything else could go wrong, we know that we don't need them anyhow. As long as we have Jesus, we have full access to God. That got me thinking about Kenny. Do you know who Kenny is? Neither do I. Let me tell you about Kenny, though. It was back in the 1990s, and I was a pastor of a church in Lincoln, Rhode Island. And it came to Monday, Thursday. And I needed to go to the church to set up for the Monday, Thursday service. Now, does anybody here know anything about church keys? Church keys have one really interesting thing about them. What happens to church keys? They get lost, but there's a better one. Everybody has one. It doesn't matter. You're the pastor. You come in. You say, who has the keys? And the trustees look at you like deer in the headlights. I have no idea. A bunch of people have the keys. Well, I learned that from Kenny. Because it's Monday, Thursday, and there was a group of people from the community that met over at the Salesville Congregational Church. Only because it was Monday, Thursday, they had a Monday, Thursday service. So that whole group of people ended up in my church, and I walk in, and my church is full of people as I'm getting ready to set up for the Monday, Thursday service. And I walk in, and I go, who are you? And they go, oh, we normally meet on Thursday nights over at the Congregational Church, but they got a thing called Monday, Thursday, so we couldn't meet there, so we came over here. I go, well, who gave you a key? Kenny gave us a key. I never found out who Kenny was. Some guy was giving out keys to our church, and he was making it so just anybody could use our building. I went to the trustees, and I said, we got to rekey this building. 
So we rekeyed the building. Kenny no longer had access, and his keys didn't work. But we also now have another problem, because now you're opening all these different doors, and they all had their own individual keys, and so they gave me a master key. And we were very careful with a master key. Who gets it? You see, individual keys open locks, but the master key opens the whole building. Now, fast forward, I come here to Plymouth, and when I get here, I find out it's time to redo the church building locks. Absolutely. Money I'll always spend. Then I was told, we're not just going to do locks and keys, we're going to do key fobs. So we have key fobs. Anybody have a key fob here? Look at how many we have. Here's the difference with key fobs. I can turn your key fob off. Can I, Bill Mitchell, who tried to get in this morning and we accidentally turned his key fob off? Anyhow, key fobs, you can come in and you can have access here. And now there's a master key fob that gets you in everywhere. Otherwise, individual key fobs only get you in some places. So I said to our locksmith, what if it fails? Locksmith says it's not going to fail. But what if it does fail? It's not going to fail. I go, but what if it does fail? He goes, okay, fine. If it, and I go, how's it going to fail? I go, what if the internet goes out? What if all the electricity goes out? What if it blows up? I don't know how it fails, but it, you know, I'm swiping a thing over here. It seems to me that it could fail. Fine. Every key, every lock still has another lock on it. So I'm going to give you an override physical key, a mega key, a mega master key, that overrides everything when everything else fails. Folks, that's what Jesus is. He's your mega master key. He gets you in everywhere. He can't fail. When all else fails and everything else doesn't go well, you know that your Savior is the mega high priest. You don't need me to do your prayers for you. I'm happy to pray for you, but I pray for you as one of you. We pray together through Jesus to the Savior. That's why we, we say in Jesus' name. You see, having a Savior who gets us full access to every door of heaven, everything, there's nothing hidden to us. We now can understand who we build a relationship with. That's who we talk to, folks. That's who we're invited to get to know. The great, the mega high priest, who also, the text tells us, is tempted but sinless. Tempted but didn't fail. Verse 15, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I hope you absorb those words. That is one of the key scriptures in the Bible. We don't just have a Savior, a one who gets us full access to God that we get to know, who can get us in, who then is like, yeah, but I don't understand you people. Like, you like mess up on everything. Why don't you become like me? The text says the opposite. He's like you in everything. You face something in life and you go, nobody understands. Jesus does. You have somebody who lets you down and you go, I don't even know who to talk to because nobody else has faced what I've faced. Jesus has. You see, wherever we go, whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever struggle we have, we know that we don't just have the one who is the access so that we have full access to God, but he's like you. He's like me. He feels our hurts. He feels our pains. When, there's times when I say to my wife, I don't know who to talk to because nobody else is facing what I am, and I always hear the voice come back, but Jesus does. But Jesus does. Now, I'm going to do a survey, and we'll see if you guys can get this right. I'm going to list you a group of names. If you were in the first service, you are disqualified if you say anything. 
and I want you to tell me what these people all have in common. Wayne Gretzky, Bart Starr, Ted Williams, Kevin McHale, Magic Johnson. They're athletes. What else? They're what? They are the best of the best. They all are in the Hall of Fame. They also made lousy coaches. They all failed as coaches, every one of them. Great athletes who couldn't identify with anybody, and therefore, no matter how great they were as a coach, they were loud, I, they were, no matter how great they were as an athlete, they were lousy as a coach. Now I'm going to give you list number two, and you're going to know why I gave you this one. Bill Belichick, Pat Riley, Tony LaRussa, sorry, i got to get a North Dakotan in here, Phil Jackson, Blanche Rickey. Mediocre to poor athletes who are amazing coaches. Why? There's always been this conversation about the fact that great athletes do not make great coaches because they can't identify with a person when they struggle. But the people who struggled as athletes are some of the most amazing coaches we've ever had. You can read all about it. You just Google great coaches who are lousy athletes and great athletes who are horrible coaches. Because that's what we learn about Jesus. Jesus is God, but he's human like us. He struggled like us. He had our pain. He had our temptations. He went through absolutely every single thing that we go through. So when we struggle with something, we go to the one not who got it wrong, but understands all of the hurts and the pains that we face. It's interesting that in the early church, that, that presented a dilemma for people. They were like, this doesn't make sense. You're telling me that Jesus was God, but at the same time, he was human like us. And so for centuries, the church argued about that. They read it in the scripture, but they couldn't fathom how could this be until finally in 431 AD at a thing called the Council at Ephesus, they came out with a theological concept for all of my theological nerds in our congregation. You can go do further research on this. They called it the hypostatic union. That Jesus, yes, in fact, is fully God, but fully human. But a lot of times when we access our conversations with Jesus, yes, we understand that he's a savior. Yes, we understand he's a second person in the Trinity. Yes, we understand that he came into this world to be a sacrifice for our sins. But we also understand he understands us. He knows what we're going through. He knows our pains. Remember where we started our message? It's not being told what to do that makes a difference in our life. It's who we build a relationship with. And you and I are invited to build a relationship with somebody who gets it, who understands what we're going through. So when we talk to Jesus, we start realizing he empathizes with us and we have an opportunity to share our hurts and listen to him because he doesn't come back at us as somebody who's a know-it-all. We read a scripture and you go, wow, wow. Jesus really understands what I'm going through. There's a last thing that the writer wants us to understand if we're to have a relationship with Jesus to transform our life. He also sits on a throne of grace. Now, I'm going to say that again. He sits on the throne of grace. You see, a lot of times we get caught up on the throne part. All-powerful. Savior of the world. John tells us he created everything. But listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells us about that throne of grace. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy 
and find grace and help in our time of need. Grace, the Greek word charis, it means unconditional love. It means that God totally loves us, that Jesus totally forgives, totally understands when we mess up. Think of all the ways in which we misuse love. We turn it into a feeling and then somehow we think that because our feelings change and we talk about falling in and out of love, that somehow that gets tied to Jesus and that's not true at all because Jesus is the one who loves us with the throne of grace unconditionally no matter what we do, no matter what we've done wrong. So he sits on this throne and the text says, therefore we can approach him with what? Boldness. Hear that? You're going to repeat that word after me. What can you approach Jesus with? Boldness. The word boldness is actually also translated clearly speaking. It says we can speak clearly to Jesus. Now, a lot of times in life, what happens is we come to church, we have something on our heart, and we say, I want to talk to Jesus about it, but I don't want everybody else to know, so I'm kind of embarrassed to raise my hand, and I'm not going to say it. But that's not a relationship with our Savior. We approach him with boldness, with clarity. We can clearly state everything that we want Jesus to know. When do we not speak clearly? When we don't want somebody else to understand what we're saying. Do you know how I know that? Because i got a granddaughter. She's only two and a half years old, but that kid learns pretty quickly. The other day, I set down my credit card. Should have put it in my billfold, but I didn't. I had to buy something online, and I put it on the coffee table. Now, it's only Ruby, Henry, and myself. And now my credit card disappears. Now, I knew Henry didn't have it because it wasn't in his mouth, okay? So babies put it in the mouth. So I look at Ruby, and I say, Ruby, where's Grandpa's credit card? She says something that's unintentional and unintelligible, blah, 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 pa. And I looked at her, and I said, I understood the pa, but I didn't understand the other side. Uh, could you say that again? Do you have Grandpa's credit card? Pa. I said, Ruby, get me my credit card. She went over to her toy box and pulled out the credit card and handed it to me. You see, that's what we do even when we're two years old if we don't want somebody to know what we're saying. The text says that's not how we approach Jesus. We approach Jesus with boldness, with confidence, with the thing of saying, hey, Jesus, I can tell you anything because you sit on the throne of grace and when I clearly tell you what's going on in my life, you love me, you forgive me, you let me know my life's okay. You help me start seeing that I don't have to be fretting about all the stuff that concerns me. You don't think that transforms our lives? When we start to realize that the creator of the world, the savior, the one who gave his life, very God, very human, the one who theologians took 400 years to figure out how this could really be according to what the scriptures say, is in your life and no matter what you take to him, do it with joy and pride. Jesus, I messed up today. Like, I'm a lousy, horrible person. You don't believe what I did. And realize he expresses kindness and goodness and understanding. And then we start to transform. We start to change. You see, grace is one of the most important things that we need in a relationship if we're going to become different people. Because as we experience that with our Savior, we start realizing that we can live like Him. And it starts being picked up in our lives. Now, I understand that this weekend we are all getting ready for 
Valentine's Day. Did you know it's not really Valentine's Day? It's St. Valentine's Day. And I don't want us to forget that. St. Valentine was a bishop in the early church. And in the third century, he was a bishop who they had a problem in the first few centuries of Christianity. It was illegal to be a Christian. And so now Roman soldiers would come and would become Christians, and they weren't allowed to get married. And they weren't allowed to have a Christian marriage. So this guy, Valentine, said, nobody's going to tell me who to marry. And he extended grace and love, and he married, performed these weddings for these Roman soldiers. So they started saying he was the bishop of love. That's where the whole idea of where St. Valentine comes from. Now, Valentine himself ended up being martyred because of the fact of what he did. His very life was taken for him because in the Roman Empire, that wasn't a cool thing to do to disagree with the emperor, but he didn't care because he did what he knew God wanted him to do. He extended grace the way Jesus extends grace. Now, St. Valentine is not our savior, and I'm not inviting you to have a relationship with St. Valentine, but he stands for and represents what Jesus does for us. We say, nobody's going to extend grace to me. Jesus does. Nobody's going to do this for me because maybe it's going to cost them something. He already paid the price. He already gave his life for us. And so as you build your relationship with Jesus, a lot of times I ask people, would you like to give your life to Christ? Today I'd like to ask you, what Jesus are you serving? What Jesus are you getting to know? Because far too many times Christians go through life and we're talking about somebody very different than what the Scriptures is telling us. Our Bible tells us he's our high priest. He opens the doors to heaven. He's not just a high priest, he's our mega high priest. He gives us access to everything and never turns us away. He's God, but he's one of us. He's human. He came to this world in flesh and blood, and whenever we face anything, we go to one who understands us and understands the problems that we have far before we did because he faced it all, and he deals with us with love and compassion. But why not? He's sitting on the throne of grace. Not on the throne of judgment to look down on us and punish us and tell us you've done something wrong and I can't believe you messed up again. And he also then gives us an understanding of how to build relationships with others, doesn't he? Because just by telling somebody else to do something, that's not going to change our lives. If you and I have people in our lives that we really are concerned about, what are we doing to build relationships with them? What are we doing to get to know them better so that they can get to know us better? Because today is all about relationship. And I invite you to ask that very serious question in your life. What am I doing? And how can I build a better relationship with this, say, this Jesus, this one who is very God and very human, this one who gives me full access to the Father, this one who unconditionally loves me and understands all the mess-ups that I've done and simply wants me to get to know him better? And in getting to know him better, he works in my life and I start being transformed. I hope we have a good Valentine's Day and a wonderful week ahead. But more importantly than all of the other ways in which we express love, let's work on our love relationship with our Savior. That's why we're Christians. That's what we're here for. It's not about religion and rules and doing one more thing. It's about getting to know our Savior better. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and for the ways in which you work in our lives. Help us trust our Savior better. 
Help us understand who you are and how much you gave everything for us that we might get to know you better. Father, if we don't know you, help us accept you. Help us just accept Christ into our hearts and just trust in him and say, Jesus, you love me. I want to trust you. But now as we do that, let us know who we're getting to know. And help us as we read the scriptures and as we pray every day to know that we're talking to one who cares about us and gave everything for us. And help us in building that relationship become more confident that you're transforming our lives that we could become more like Jesus. It is relationships that transform us and change us and it's relationships with others that help them. Let us not lose sight of that because it's so easy to fall into the thinking of what I need to do. Help us go from this place asking the question, who do I need to get to know better? In Jesus' name we pray.